Hey friends, Pastor Marco here. First of all, thank you for listening to the weekly podcast. I want to um, encourage you to do something. If you listen to us from a different state or a different country and you love the church and you want to be more connected to it, we are now opening it up for people to host new life communities from where they are. And if you're interested in being one of those people that can uh, host a watch party of our services where you can invite your friends, your loved ones, your co-workers, your neighbors or whatnot to come and be a part of it, uh, email us at info at newlifesouthcoast.com because we want to be able to have pockets of new life communities all over the nation and all over the world. So if you're interested, get back to us. Uh, we would love to connect with you. Also, if you're closer and you can be in the physical building, our services now are at 915 and 11 a.m at our New Bedford location and 11 a.m. at our Forever location. The best way to stay connected is by downloading our church app. Go to the browser um, and just type in New Life South Coast and our app will pop up on Apple or whatever else that you use for you to stay connected. I pray that today's message as usual will encourage you, challenge you, and, and bless your walk with the Lord. Now, if you have your Bibles, our Bible reading is going to come from the book of Colossians, chapter 2. Colossians, chapter 2, we're going to continue our series on spiritual warfare. And the last few weeks, we have established that we are in a warfare, right? We talked about knowing your enemy, knowing his tactics, his strategies. And so the next couple of weeks, though, I want to get to the good part. I want to get to the place where we understand that we can live from a place of victory. We can live from a place of victory. We don't live defeated. We don't live worried or fearful. We live from a place of victory because we know victory is ours in Jesus. Can you say amen? Colossians chapter 2. And actually, I'm going to title this Victory in Jesus. It's a throwback to a hymn. How many of you guys know that hymns are awesome? They don't make them like they used to. I'm going to sound like that dude. They don't make them like they used to. You know, I, I worship music has kind of gotten a little bit too light. I feel like I worship music has gotten lightweight nowadays. You know, it used to be that our hymns used to pack a punch. Like you, you, couldn't, you couldn't get through one stanza without going through theological school to, to sing one song. You know, now you can get through a whole worship song and go... Was that Bieber or was that like King David? I'm not sure which one that was. But man, we used to sing, Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and with this. Oh, I got some folks in the house. He and I and all my... This is where I lose you. <laughs> it's usually by the third stanza, you're like, eh, 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 That's one thing about hymns, they're too long. It's just like, by the time you get to the third stanza, you're like, yo, I, I got nothing. You know, I was, I was really trying to remember all the lyrics all week long. And I'm like humming it and looking it up. Still have to look it up, still can't remember all of it. It's too long, but hymns are awesome. Can you say amen? Colossians chapter 2 says this in verse 13. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God, then God 
made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins, all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed, I love that, the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his, say that word, victory over them on the cross. Can you say amen? Victory in Jesus. Victory in Jesus. So I'm going to quickly give you the framework for the next couple of weeks as we talk about victory in Jesus. This is what we mean. In Jesus, right, we have victory because of what he did through his life, his death, and his resurrection. We have victory because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The way Jesus lived, he lived from a place of victory to show us how to live from a place of victory. The way Jesus dies, he's actually, it's a paradox. He's dying, but he's coming alive, right? He's dying to live. That's a message in itself, right? And then his resurrection is almost like hitting the reset button to say, there's a new start here. There's a new beginning here. We can all live in this victory. Can you say amen? Now, when I say all that, the struggle that we have if you've been around church, if you've, if you've been around this whole thing about Jesus, the struggle that we have is that sometimes we have domesticated the gospel, or especially the cross. I feel like we've kind of like diluted this thing where we say, you know, Jesus died for my sins so I can go to heaven someday. That's usually the gist of the gospel nowadays. You know, Jesus died for my sins so I can go to heaven someday day. And that is true, but I feel like it doesn't really do justice to what the cross is truly all about, right? I don't think it really packs a punch, right? I feel like it, it, it kind of just becomes this thing that we say, you know, like, you know, Jesus died for my sins, and one day I'll, I'll, I'll eventually go to heaven. And to be honest with you, I think what it translates to after a while, it translates into this thing like, like you know, it's just, you know, I just go to this thing on the weekend, and then I'm waiting one day to go to this place that he talks about. And unfortunately, I don't know if, if we can be honest in church, but I think it leads to a very shallow and boring understanding of what Jesus has done for us. Like, you ever talk to another believer and it just sounds like, I'm, I'm like, you know, it just sounds like, eh, you know, like, yeah, you know, he died. And one day, you know, maybe perhaps perchance I shall make it into heaven someday. And, and I think it kind of promotes this, this almost like this escape understanding of this journey as opposed to embracing where we are today and, and the effect that he has on us as we speak. Right? That, that it's not just something that I do on the weekend and then I'm, I'm, I'm hoping someday per chance I will get to heaven. Now, let me, let me drill this a little bit deeper today. Uh, we're going to go to Bible school for a little bit this morning because we have victory in Jesus. We already started with the hymn, so we might as well go all the way and get sanctified this morning. But pre-COVID, I was, I was dealing with some, some physical illnesses, right? I was, I was struggling with, with dizziness. 
And, and every morning I would wake up and the whole room would feel like it's spinning around me. And I would have a really hard time focusing throughout the day because I would be dizzy and I would have these headaches and, and I would have a hard time focusing. I would come to work, but I can't like focus. And, and I, that was going on for a while until I decided, you know, maybe I need to go get this checked and figure out like what is going on. Like I can't focus. Why is every morning I'm feeling dizzy and, 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 and it's affecting the way I'm living. And so I ended up going to the doctor, but my primary doctor wasn't available. So I saw this other doctor and he said that he believed that I had vertigo, right? Ladies, like, oh, this is all the effects of vertigo. I'm pretty sure it's vertigo. Um, problem is, it wasn't vertigo because he persisted afterwards and it kept going for a few more months to the point that I went back. And this time I saw my primary doctor. He's like, listen, I think we need to rule out everything here, so why don't you go get a, a CAT scan so we can kind of see your brain and kind of see like what's happening in there. And so I go and have this, this CAT scan, and to make a long story short, this was going on for about two or three months. And so I get this CAT scan, and he comes back, and he says, listen, um, it's not vertigo, but it seems like you've had this severe case of a sinus infection that's been like there for a very long time, and it's throwing everything off. And so we're going to try some antibiotics and see if that would help. And, um, and so I, I got on this antibiotic, and it really did help, and it just kind of been going back and forth in a sense. But my point is this. What I'm trying to get at is the fact that, you know, a lot of times I think when we talk about the things of God and when we talk about the cross and sin, I feel like sometimes we are diagnosing all the symptoms, but we're not getting to the root of the real problem. Right, I think we have a, a tendency to talk about sin in a way that it's not really what Jesus had in mind when he was talking about coming to save us from our sins. I think sometimes we're talking in terms of sins, in terms of symptoms, as opposed to actually what is the actually root of the problem. And the problem is, the more you treat the symptom and not the root, the more you're going to continue to miss the diagnosis of what's really going on. Are you tracking with me? This morning. And so I want to get really to the root of this because if you're going to win the spiritual warfare, you have to understand really what is going on on a deeper level of humanity. Are you, are you tracking with me? Right? Because a lot of times I think we, we, we have almost like made this whole thing about, uh, you know, how, how bad is your symptoms? And so we compare symptoms. Right? And none, none of us is getting healed from the root of actually all the symptoms. So we, we have a tendency to think, you know, some sins are, you know, a worse symptom and less of a symptom. You know, it's like, well, my symptom's not as bad as your symptom. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's like Yo, how bad is your diarrhea? Not as bad as yours. I say that just to make sure that we're all here in this place. But well, my friends, I, I, I want to take us on a quick journey here through scriptures that the real heart of the issue that Jesus came to show us and to expose and to heal us from, if you take notes, the real heart of the issue is idolatry. That's the real disease. Everything Every symptom is because of that root issue called idolatry. Like everything that we talk about as sin is because there is a deeper disease called idolatry that we all kind of carry around until we come face to face with what Jesus 
has done for us. I, I want to say this again. Humanity's main issue is idolatry. And if you're not sure what idolatry is, idolatry is when we replace God with things and people. And when I say that, I know we're church people, and let me just make it even more clear. Idolatry even is ministry. Even ministry could become an idolatry where we replace God for other things other than him. Because the thing is, what we're trying to get to, remember, the first warfare in the garden, we studied this a few weeks ago, but I want to remind us that the first warfare came because the enemy told Adam and Eve, you will be just like who? He said, you will be just like God. So in other words, let's replace God with you. That's what idolatry is. It's replacing God with something else, with somebody else. In other words, someone is sitting on the throne and it's not Jesus. That's really the heart of this thing, right? That's why one of the things that's so funny when people talk about like, yeah, but I'm a good person. It's like, no, you could be good, but who's sitting on the throne? You know, like that's, that to me actually is one of the, the main symptoms that we seem to neglect when we say, oh, I'm good though. Not realizing, yeah, yeah, you are because you are on the throne. And that might be your greatest detrimental to your progress is you. I think life, one of life's greatest revelation is when I say I am the problem. No amens there. That's all right. Tell your neighbor, I'm the problem. But tell the right neighbor, you know, we can solve it together. <laughs> you know. <laughs> the enemy told Adam and Eve, he told humanity, you can be like God. So usually when we're talking, we're going somewhere here, I hope you're tracking. When we're talking about sin, a lot of times I think we're talking more about symptoms than we're actually talking about the actual disease. And that's a waste of time. And it becomes very boring very quickly. What I'm just doing is comparing symptoms. But none of us is getting healed. <laughs> Think about it, right? The Greek word for sin is the word missing the mark. Right? The word missing the mark is like, you ever watch Hunger Games, Katniss? You know? It's like you have that, but every time you, you do this, you miss the mark. You're like, bro, you can't shoot. And here we are comparing each other's shots as opposed to like, no, guys, the bullseye is the, is the, is the point. So when idolatry is in our hearts, then we're never going to hit the bullseye. Are you tracking with me? Right? So idolatry really is, catch this, it's the failure to worship properly. In other words, we're going to worship something or someone. And when we replace God as the main object of our worship, then we are already just missing it, missing it, missing it. And we can talk about all the reasons why you're missing it. It's the wind, you know. It's that guy that distracted you. You know, we can, we can do that. It's Trump. You know what I mean? Like, we, can, we can go on and on about why we're missing the mark. Until we understand, wait, because there's something within you that's not right. Worship, my friends, when you're worshiping God, you're, you are living in the proper context of your life. 
Let me put it this way. Worship is not music. That's just one way to worship. Right? Worship is, is not giving. That's one way to worship. Worship is not coming to church. That's one way to worship. Worship is a lifestyle of centering myself in the will, in the purpose, in the reality of who God is. Let me put it this way. Worship is, is living with delight, gratitude for the love of God and knowing that he's my provider. That's why the enemy came to, dis, to, to disrupt. He says, man, over here, you got everything that you need. Matter of fact, there's another warfare. If you look at another man named Job in the Bible, right, the enemy had a conversation with God about Job. He said, the only reason your boy worships you is because you spoil him. Go read it. So he's like, yo, let me strip away some things from him and see if he truly worship you. Which is messed up because the enemy and God had almost like a bet that Job had no idea about. Job is chilling, minding his business, roasting and, you know, doing his thing, barbecuing. And all of a sudden he begins to get hit, not realizing, yo, y'all had a bet on me? Yo, imagine being Job going to heaven like, yo, y'all had a bet on me? But we know the story, right? Everything gets stripped away from Job. His kids, his wealth, his health, right? All of it, even his wife. Yo, his wife. He, she's supposed to be right or die. She told him die. It's messed up. I'm gonna leave it alone right there. I'm not going. And if, I'm learning my, I'm learning. I ain't touching that. Well, no, I'm just right there. But what's amazing is the, the testimony of Job. This is my testimony, right? The testimony of Job was, though he slay me, yeah, I will trust him. Why? I don't trust anything of these things. All those things are bonuses compared to having God as the Lord and Redeemer of my life. So we don't know if we're truly worshiping sometimes until everything is stripped away from us. Because we don't know Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all we got. And I think, I think COVID is trying to tell us who you got. Who you rolling with. So my friends, worship is living with delight, gratitude, and love for God. Which leads then to a generous, humble stewardship of everything that God has trusted us with. This is what the enemy is trying to rob us of. So we can live in fear and fret and worry and anxiety and stress about how is it that we're going to do this. So bottom line, my friends, I pray you're catching this because I'm going somewhere. The purpose of the cross, the purpose of the cross was not necessarily to forgive your sins so you can go to heaven someday. The purpose of the cross was to restore you back to your original identity and purpose that you had in the garden before. Before. Because the Bible doesn't start with Genesis 3. It starts with Genesis 1. And a lot of times when I hear the gospel, we start with Genesis 3. And that's a problem, Houston. It's a problem because it leads to a gospel that's not really that good. 
Because it starts with, you're a bad person, you deserve judgment, you deserve punishment, and then it leads to this. This is very scary. It leads to, because God is mad at you, he killed his son. So it's not for God so love the world, it's for God so hate the world that he gave his son. Are you tracking with me? This is very important. Because we can distort the whole gospel if we start in Genesis 3. The whole purpose was, no, I created you good. And I created you with purpose. And I created you with intention. I gave you an identity. I gave you a life to live right now. I want my kingdom to come to earth as it is in heaven. Not for you to go to heaven. Think about it. Jesus comes on the scene and says, hey, here's how you pray. You pray kingdom now. Not sometime later. Are you tracking with me? So the enemy wants to distort this whole thing so we can live from a place of lack as opposed to a place of abundance. So let me get this. I hope you catch this and, and write this down because you've got to wrestle with this all week. Bottom line is sin and idolatry is a failure of responsibility on our part. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is, if we were being given an identity and a purpose, if we're missing the mark, then we're missing our responsibility. It's like telling your kid to do a chore, but he does it his way. And you're like, but that's not what I asked you to do. But you're like, well, it's to count that thoughts. No, no, no. <laughs> I wanted the grass cut. <laughs> I didn't want to think about cutting the grass. I wanted to see it. <laughs> I want to see lines. <laughs> oh, man. So, listen. This, now, let's, let's, get, let's get a little deeper here. So, when we, when we miss the mark, what we're doing is, this is so powerful. We're handing over. We're handing over power to the wrong side. Are you tracking when, when you're sinning, you have handed over this, this power to an undivine force and authority that shouldn't be. The moment that they ate from the fruit, they said, hey, you have us now. And this is the plight of humanity ever since. We're saying the wrong person is leading us. Because we've handed over our power. We've handed over our authority. Remember, he said, hey, I've created you to go create. Now get, get this. I pray you catch this. When we're not creating for God, what are we creating for? Think about it. Music is an expression of creativity. When you're not creating music from a place of redemption, you're creating music from a place. Are you tracking? When you're not Creating a business from a place of redemption, you're creating a business from a place of? When you're not doing politics from a place of redemption, you're doing it from a place of? When you're not doing church from a place of redemption, you're doing it from, are you tracking with me? Like, we are doing life from a place. That's why this is the heart of, this whole warfare is about who you worship. The whole thing is about worship. The whole thing, why, 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 why worship? Because worship says about what I care about and the things that matters to me. Worship is where I live from. Yeah. 
So think about this. When, when the enemy comes and tempts Jesus, Jesus is on warfare, which was throughout scriptures. But in this particular moment, when he gets baptized and he's going to the wilderness to be tempted, what does is, what is the enemy do? The enemy is trying to say, change your worship. Change your allegiance. I got you. That's what he told him. I got you. Like, you don't even have to go to the cross. I could give you everything right now. Which is really funny because you can't give people what you don't have. And so he goes through this temptation, but you have to catch this. It's, it's a temptation that is our temptation as well. It's, it's, it's what the, the whole thing is about. Like the, that's why, I, I, listen, I love the Bible because when you begin to read it, you begin to see like Jesus is connecting dots for us. So when the enemy tempts him, the first thing the enemy says is, if, 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 if. Like if you really are who you say you are. If you really are. Who are you? Okay. <laughs> a superstar and have no fear. You know. <laughs> oh, the enemy loves to put an if in front of who God says you are. But I love what Jesus responds. I love Jesus' response because this is where I think there's a difference between hymns and biberish type of worship. And I love Bieber, by the way. He's a believer. He's a believer now. Like, not a believer. He's a believer. Okay? <laughs> he really is. What, I, what I'm trying to get to is Jesus could have responded based on, well, I, I, I think I am, though. I feel like I am. Well, some days I don't feel like I am. What does Jesus do? Jesus tried to teach us, here's, here's the reality of how you actually deal with these things. Jesus said, it is written because if it is written it can't be unwritten like if God said it it's established like God is not like man that he changes his mind the Bible says right God is not a liar right so when God says hey you are who I say you are well, you can take that to the bank it doesn't matter how you feel God already said this is who you are Think about it. You wake up on a wrong day, on a wrong side of the bed on a Thursday, you may not feel safe. And if you go with that feeling, you might do some really dumb stuff. Right, right. You ever, we're in church, but when you ever had a day that you're like, who the heck am I? Can we just have a moment for a second? Because I've had moments. Your pastor has days that I'm like, yo, where the heck did that come from? How in the world was I thinking about that? I am spazzing. Am I the only human in this house? And that's why I love that Jesus was trying to say to us, hey, don't go by what you feel. Go by who God says that you are. He said, it is written. And what is he doing? He's actually quoting scriptures. Jesus, the son of God, quotes the Bible. Now we're like, I don't know. The Bible is kind of antiquated, you know. Funny thing is, Jesus only knew the Old Testament. That you didn't even. 
He's quoting Deuteronomy, and the reason why he's quoting Deuteronomy, because he's, he's actually making a point. Hey, remember, knuckleheads, you were in the desert, and you got hungry, and you became, you know, so hungry that you missed sight of the God who provides for you. So I'm going to tell you again, man doesn't live a bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It says you don't, you don't worship this little thing. Because it's always going to come in three ways. It's your physical cravings that's going to make you want to worship something else or somebody else. (laughs) Come on. So good. Because sometimes it's... (laughs) Yeah, you know, um, know, do I need to elaborate? (laughs) My body's telling me no. I can't, even, I can't even talk about that dude. I just can't. Things got really weird fast. But you can fill in the gaps for me. He says, no, you worship God and serve him holy. Saying like, hey, listen, physical cravings, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's always going to be those three The truth is, no matter where you are, I told you, he studies you, he knows, like, hey, let's see which one, which button can we, boop, 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 to get him to worship me. Which one can we, you know, COVID hit, which one can we, which one is it? How do we get him or her to forsake his worship, to forsake his God? That's why he did with Job, hold the buttons. But Job says, I know my Redeemer lives. Job's like, I know all that stuff. It was great. It was bonuses. But man, I know my Redeemer lives. And I can't deny who he is. I can't deny what he means to me. So the, the Hebrew scripture tells us this. In, in, that the high, this high priest, Jesus of ours, understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings we do. Yet he did not sin. He didn't miss the mark. Are you tracking So my friends, the cross is the power struggle for the heart of humanity. There's a power struggle in the universe. And you can sense it sometimes. Sometimes it's tangible. You can see there's a power struggle between good and evil. You can just sense it. Sometimes it's just tangible. But but the reality is it's been going on since day one. Since Genesis 3. And I've told you that, that the reason why they don't tell you what fruit it is so we don't create a theology around it. <laughs> Beware of apples. <laughs> Thou shalt not eat watermelons. <laughs> no, the, the whole purpose is to tell you like, no, 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 now, now, my friends, that, that tree is in every decision that you make, yeah, yeah. every choice that you make. The reality is we live with this tension of who are we going to worship? In any moment, in any situation, we find ourselves in. Now, let me go a little bit deeper here with the cross. Are we good? Are you guys tracking with me? Yeah. You have to understand this, that there's, there's two levels of everything that God does. If you're taking notes. There's the natural level, what you see. Then there's the supernatural, the realm, the other realm that you don't see. This might mess you up, but when Jesus talks about heaven, he's not talking about you know, if you keep going way up in the sky, way, 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 way up, you're going to get to heaven. No, heaven is a whole other realm. Right. 
And once in a while, you kind of see them kind of come together. And with Jesus, the whole teaching of Jesus is, hey, the whole point is to bring the two together. The two realms becoming one. Once in a while, I don't know if you ever, you ever had those moments in worship or in prayer that you just feel like you're touching another realm. Like, you know, once in a while, it's like God winks at you and says, hey, he's there. There's more. But for now, we live in this tension, right? So I, I pray you understand this, that, that the power struggle here, there's, there's the natural in what, what you see, and then there's the supernatural, what you don't see. This is why the Bible says we don't wrestle flesh and blood, right? Because there's a realm that you don't see where things are being, you know, tweaked and things are being, like, for example, when Jesus is about to go to the cross, the, the Bible gives you this little hint that says, in that moment, Judas was filled with the devil. But if you're in that room, you don't see that. Because the other disciples were all there, they're eating. But the Bible says, yeah, there was a natural thing happening and a supernatural thing happening. And only Jesus and Judas knew that in that moment. This is why I tell you every week, discernment is the name of the game. To say what's really happening here. He says, in that moment, the devil entered him to do a thing. My friends, this is what I'm trying to tell you, that a lot of times it's through familiar faces and voices. If we're not discerning. Because if he says, hey, I'm the enemy here to ruin your life, you'd be like, peace. <laughs> but watch this, on the cross, it's even deeper. There's a natural thing happening and a supernatural thing happening. People don't realize this. In the natural, what really killed Jesus? You ever think about that? Because yeah. you don't get crucified for being a nice guy. Right. If Jesus was Mr. Rogers, he wouldn't have died a, a crucifixion death. That's not what killed Jesus. Oh, he was a really nice guy and they killed him. No! In the natural, the reason, uh, this is going to mess us up. What killed Jesus was religion and politics. This is the truth. What killed Jesus was religion and politics in the wrong hands. So what have we done? We said, don't talk about religion and politics. Why? Because we haven't understood that we can redeem it. Anything in the wrong hands leads to wrong consequences. It was the religious people who said, hey, this guy is disrupting our flow, is actually hurting our bottom line. Taking money out of our pockets by telling people to, 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 to not do the, the things we've been doing to make money off of religion. You never heard of that before. For $9.99, you can get your blessings. So, what did they do? They, first of all, had false witnesses, they tried them overnight, which is illegal. He never had a chance in the natural. The whole system was against him. And then the religious folks got together with the political folks and said, hey, this is bad for business. There's actually little hints in the Bible that says, man, Herod and Pilate didn't even like each other, but they became friends in that moment. (laughs) Just so they can get to get this guy out of the way. He's hurting our bottom line. That's the natural. In the natural, religion and politics can be harmful when it's not redeemed. So the problem is not religion or politics. The problem is who is leading 
our religion, and our politics. And here's the thing, my friends. Here's where I think we need to really pay attention. My friends, our goal is not to go to heaven someday. Our goal is to bring redemption now. So guess what? Guess what? If we say, hey, forget politics, forget religion, what we said is, hey, enemy, you can have it. So we can't complain when we said, hey, go ahead. If our creatives who love Jesus don't create good music, we're saying to the world, hey, hey, go ahead. Tell us how to worship. When we don't create good movies and, and, and good uh, uh, entertainment, we're saying to the world, hey, have it. We're just going to do our thing on Sundays. You can have the rest. You see how shallow and boring that perspective is? Because when I read scriptures, what does God do? God's always saying, hey, infiltrate to transform. You ever heard of Joseph who lived in the White House? Pharaoh's palace. God put him there to infiltrate, to be able to affect policies, to be able to affect Pharaoh so that Pharaoh can do the things that will bless God and bless people and Daniel. And we can go on and on about how God says, infiltrate to redeem it. You're the light, you're the salt. If there's no light and salt... What are you left with? Yeah. Are you tracking? Yeah, yeah, come on. Because I think that we've made a mistake to say, we're out of the game. Mm. We're just waiting to go to heaven. Right. And guess what? Heaven's never going to come. Yeah. If we're not working to bring redemption to it. Yeah. Right. Right. Sometimes I tell, you know, Christians want to talk about the end times. It's like, forget talking about the end times. If you're not doing the things to bring Jesus back, Jesus is never going to come back. We're so consumed with the symptoms as opposed to treating the root. Is this too deep for 9 o'clock in the morning? Religious and political corruption in the wrong hands will always give you bad results. Every single time. It's just math. (laughs) But listen, there's a supernatural side of the cross. In that moment, my friends, God was changing the game. It is the greatest mystery. In that moment, on that Good Friday, history was never the same again. Did they know that at the time? Of course not. They all fled. They didn't realize there's a natural, but then there's a supernatural. I love the little details of the Bible. After Jesus is crucified, he's talking to a couple of his disciples. Like he's playing dumb. Jesus is like, yo, what happened here? What are you, a stranger? Where have you been? You haven't, you haven't heard about what happened here? I love it. Jesus like, yeah, tell me. What happened? Walking along with them. Go look it up. The road team is, right? They're just walking for seven, seven miles walking. It's a good workout there. But Jesus let them, like, share what they saw in the natural. And then he, he begins to connect the dots for them and says, but wait, wasn't that what this whole thing was trying to say? Isaiah 53, haven't you read it? Haven't you seen that the Messiah would come and suffer? But haven't you read that that, that, that is the process through which God was going to redeem humanity? Have you read that the whole purpose was that God in that moment was absorbing evil instead of paying evil with evil 
He pays evil with love because there's no greatest power than love. Love conquers all things. In that moment, God says, I'll take it. Let me, let me, let me, let me try to give a, it's really hard to illustrate this because it's too deep. But imagine right now, someone throws a grenade in here and someone jumps on that grenade so we can all be saved. He takes it. He absorbs it. In that moment, it's like naturally speaking, God was saying, look, I want to show you humanity at its worst when they're under the wrong worship. This is what humanity will do. This is what all of us are capable of doing when we're worshiping the wrong God. We're mean. We're angry. They were hurling insults at him. He's saying like, hey, this is, this is you guys without this. This is you guys pledge allegiance to the wrong guy. Your religion could hurt people. Your politics could hurt people. Your approach to me, you're thinking, Jesus said you think you're doing me a favor, but you're actually hurting me. That's what could happen when we're worshiping the wrong God. In that moment, he's absorbing evil. He's allowing it to happen to say, look, I'm going to show you, you are your worst. But are your worst. I love you. This is what we mean by substitution. It's like, hey, time out, I got this. Not from an anger standpoint, from a love standpoint. Hey, this is the only way I might be able to get your attention. To allow evil to fully consummate this moment so that I can show you it can all be redeemed. This is why when a true believer in Christ can go through some hell on earth and they have this redemptive perspective. This is, I think this is the reason why Job can say, though he slay me, yeah, I'll trust him. This is why I think sometimes people say, how can there be so much evil in the world? But I think a better question would be, how can there be so much goodness? Shouldn't we all throw our hands up in the air and say, forget it, call it a day? But Jesus, in the middle of all of evil, he says, I can come in that mess and still show you what we can do, what we embrace. Jesus takes back. This is why Paul is saying, like, he shamed the evil authorities. Because he was saying, look, you can't win. You just can't win. This is the worst you can do. I hope you understand. We, we have glorified this thing as like a sexy symbol. But man, it was painful. Yeah. It was the worst type of death. It's actually like when you're wearing a cross, you're wearing a, a, a death penalty sentence. But somehow that became the symbol of this thing. Why? Because nothing says more powerful that evil cannot conquer good, no matter how much you try. I mean, how many things you do to it. It just continues to win over evil. But he wins because he didn't play by the same rules. Because the same rules would be eye for an eye. The same rules would be let's continue to keep doing this thing. This is why I think right now we have to be careful. The enemy is so smart to say, hey, how can we make them like, hate each other? How can we make them be divided? How can we make them focus on the, all the symptoms but not focus on the disease? How do we make them be so into politics that they worship it instead of redeem it? How can we make it take turns so badly that they hurt each other in the process and not realizing instead of redeeming, they're dividing? And he does that with everything. 
Religion. <laughs> he does that with religion. There's 4,338 religions in the world. I Googled it. <laughs> he says, all right, pick your God, pick your God, pick your side. What you got? My God. <laughs> and this is why, my friends, the cross has so much meaning, more powerful than just he died for my sins so I can go to heaven. No, he died for our sins so we can come back to our redemptive place to say, I'm here, like we talked about a few weeks ago, to be an everyday priest. If I have that perspective, then I can infiltrate a dying world and try to influence it for good. I think we need more politicians with a redemptive perspective. We need musicians with redemptive perspective. We need media with redemptive perspective. Because when you, when you leave it up to the world, it's all bad, it's all evil, and it's all divisive. We're not meant to be escaping. We're meant to infiltrate. That's why when he comes back, he says, hey, hey, guess what? All authority is mine. So why don't you go into the world and preach what? The good news. The good news is heaven on earth now, not later, not sometime down the line. Preach the good news that, hey, you have an idol that needs to be surrendered so the true king can reside in your heart and mind so you can live a redemptive life and lead others to redemption. Notice, I gotta close, I'm running out of time. Jesus died on Passover weekend, not by coincidence. He could have chosen any day. Matter of fact, in the natural, what, what, what happened? He told his boys, oh, we're going to Jerusalem. They're like, no! They're gonna kill you! He's like, yeah, that's, that's the point. That's the whole point. I'm going to make a statement so deep in that moment. Think about this. It makes no sense. That statement in a small, little, remote area in the Roman Empire, which, by the way, anytime, anytime, anytime we're not worshiping God, empire becomes our focus. The empire says, hey, we'll bring, we'll bring peace by violence. If we're not careful, our nation could be that. Sometimes we think we go into the nations, we say, we're here to do you a favor. By violence, though. See how quiet we get? I think we, 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 we mix the American dream with the gospel. Right. It's not the same thing. The gospel is for everyone. Yeah. The gospel is not, Jesus is not American. Yeah, come on. When I was teaching high school, I remember we had a conversation around the Iraqi war and these kids who are being fed by their parents are saying, we got to bomb them. And I said, what's interesting is there are kids just like you in Iraq right now in a class saying, please, God, don't bomb my school. But you see how we can take sides and think God is for Americans, but not for Iraqis. But the whole thing started in Iran and Iraq and all those areas. Passover weekend, he was making a point. Why? Passover was the day that they would celebrate the coming out of Egypt when God liberated them from what? Slavery. Jesus was saying, now I'm going to liberate the whole world from the slavery of the wrong 
worship. Oh, man. <laughs> this is why I get chills thinking about this. You know why? Right now as we speak, there are people in Iraq worshiping Jesus. There are people in Iran worshiping Jesus. There are people in Africa worshiping Jesus. There are people in the Middle East. Like, that's amazing to me. In a little village 2,000 years ago, it still have an effect today. It's still winning over evil today. It's still going from death to life today. People are saying all over the world, in their language, in their own culture, in their own way, I found my Savior. I found my God. I worship Him. I pray him. He's above all things. All authority has been given to Jesus. And that's what we need, my friend. My God, this, this election is not going to save us. I hope you get this. It's not going to. Every four years, we have a new savior. No, we've had a savior. He's been ruling for 2,000 years. And My friend, the angel of death passed over the people of Israel. Jesus is saying, even death will pass you over. <laughs> oh, death, where's your sting? We don't even have to fear that. I got to wrap this up. But listen, can I find a way to wrap this up? Listen, he came to restore our true identity. We are God's image bearers. Imago day. That's the whole purpose. It's not to go somewhere, some pie in the sky. No, it's to say, now, God, use me to infiltrate and to bring heaven on earth. Start in our home. Bring heaven to my marriage. Bring heaven to my parenting. Bring heaven to my business. Bring heaven to my neighborhood. Bring heaven to the booth when I go vote because I'm voting as a citizen of heaven. That's the purpose. Friends, if I can sum this up real quick, he conquers all the things that has been lodged in our souls as the wrong worship. So Jesus, my friends, he conquers sin. Paul says, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. He gave us this wonderful message. Of what? We reconcile. We're the bridge makers. We don't look at race. We look at people. We don't look at political agendas. We see people. We're here to reconcile. When we're not reconciling, we miss the mark again. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God's making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That's what America needs. Come back to God. Stop fighting over the symptoms. Deal with the disease. You're worshiping the wrong God. Come back to God and watch your life. This is, I'm telling you, what Jesus was doing was on a macro level. It wasn't just a micro like me, my sins. Jesus was talking about universal sins and saying all the world come back to Genesis 1 and 2. That's, that's the whole thing is. And as Jesus was walking the earth, he was showing us, here's what he looks like. Here's what he looks like. Let me give you a couple examples before we close. Look, Jesus conquers sickness. He's saying like, no, no, in, in heaven, we don't have that. 
So let me give you some glimpses of this while we're here. While we're here, let me dish it out here and there. And I'm not saying everybody gets healed, but when you get healed, you're being reminded there is a heaven, there's a place that has no sickness. There's no sickness. Look, look. Demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. By the way, the first people to identify Jesus was the demon people. <laughs> they had no problem realizing, whoa, 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 whoa. This ain't no dude. This ain't, this ain't no teacher. This is, this is somebody else. We're the ones that go to seminary and miss Jesus. <laughs> Demons were like, yo, how'd y'all miss that? We knew that, right? We saw him coming around the block. We're like, whoa. That's different. <laughs> That's different. Because they know, yo, that dude speaks. It's over. He casts out evil spirits with a simple command. And he healed all the sick. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah 53, who said, he took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. And he says, I'm not done. He says, one day I'll come back and I'll wipe it all the way. No more tears, no more pain, no more hurting, no more crying. I'm just giving you glimpses right now, but I'm not done yet. Jesus is like, hey, wait, there's more. That's Jesus. He said, I'm not done yet. I'm just giving you glimpses, little glimpses. Once in a while in church, we will get praise reports. And Jesus is like, see, I'm telling you, I'm not done yet. If I'm not dead, he's not done. And my friends, let me give you the power over spiritual powers. Look, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms, the realm. Now he's far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. In other words, he's the boss. He says, one day, whether you like it or not, you will bow your knees. It's not that you, it's not that you, you, you have a choice. You're going to see him, and your reaction is going to be to have noodle knees. He'll be like, whoa, he, he, he is God all by himself. You can't help it. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is God. And lastly, we have victory over our greatest enemy, death. You have to understand this. The book of Revelation was written to a real people in real time. It wasn't written for us to see where is Trump in it. <laughs> so good. Missed the point. It was written to a pastor, Pastor John. You guys are being persecuted. Let me show you what's to come. So you can, be, you can strengthen your faith and continue to do what I've called you to do. That's the heart of the Revelation book. That's why he comes and he says, I am the living one. Yeah, I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. That's why when we have funerals, yes, we mourn, but man, when we know a believer died in him, it's like a celebration. I was just at a funeral a couple of weeks ago. One of my heroes in the faith who died at the age of 92, she was a missionary to Cape Verde and gave her life for 25 years to Cape Verde and went to Brazil and gave another 15, came to America, gave another to plant churches. And I'm like, I'm part of the legacy. I'm not here to mourn. I'm here to celebrate what you've done. Oh. 
Because the greatest thing that I will do in this life is follow him all the way to the grave. So my friends, this is the victory in Jesus. Oh, he loved me. He bought me with his redeeming blood. That's the victory. We live from a place of victory. The world has never been the same. Don't get it twisted. You look at the news, you're like, nothing changed. No, a lot changed. And it's still changing. But wait, there's more to come. When he says, now I'm going to come back and establish my throne here. That's why he doesn't ship you up. He says, stay here. Help redeem this place. So that when I come, it's a continuation of what you've been doing all along. Come on, stand with me as we pray this morning. It all starts when you make a decision to say, Jesus, I want to trust you as the one that I worship. I don't want to sit on the throne, and I, don't, I certainly don't want anyone else sitting on the throne of my heart. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So with every head bowed, eyes closed, I want to pray that the Holy Spirit will invade our hearts this morning. If you've never trusted Jesus as the Lord of your life, the Savior, this is a moment for you. He went to the cross for you. He rose again. And he wants to live in you. He wants to empower you to live this redemptive life. He came to give you your true identity as a priest. And if that's you, you're like, man, I want, to, I want Jesus in my life. I want him to lead me. You just lift your hands to the Lord and say, pray for me. I'd love to pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And when you pray this prayer, it's not just saying words. It's, it's surrendering. It's saying, Lord, I, I'm here to give up the throne. You're the king. You're the Lord. You're the Savior. So let's pray together. You say, Father, oh, I heard you today. Loud and clear. I have a disease. I am the problem. And Jesus is the solution for my sins, for my hopelessness. So Jesus, I trust right now what you did on that cross was for me. To live, forgiven, accepted, justified, and to do what you've called me to do, and to be what you've called me to be. So from this day forward, I'm living my life in the fullness of your will. By the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's bless God this morning. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.